0: Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at a passage in Mark chapter 1 <clears throat> as we continue on, excuse me, as we continue on in our study of the Gospel of Mark. So turn there, and while you're turning there, as you're getting used to me being way over here, and I'm, I'm used to being way over there, uh, or at least a little bit more over there. Uh, let me just very quickly uh, give you one, one announcement. Well, let me uh, say, don't forget tonight at 7 o'clock is, is the night of worship, okay? All right, so that, that's done. And the other announcement to the ladies is that uh, the deadline for the uh, women's retreat is on Tuesday, September 2nd. And I think there may have been already a little uh, slide there for that. But that's uh, for those of you that are... Still thinking about going, I hope and pray that you uh, do, and if you can, uh, the deadline for the down payment, I believe, is on uh, uh, Tuesday. Okay. All of that said, Mark chapter one. We began the study of the gospel of Mark last week uh, as we, we looked at uh, one word, the immediacy of the gospel. Uh, the immediacy having to do with the fact that uh, it, it is something having to do with things that happen in in rapid succession. This is pretty much how the Gospel of Mark uh, was written. Uh, The shortest of the Gospels, uh, but yet it has the most uh, mention of the the miracles of Jesus, because those were action things, action things that Jesus did. And, 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 And Mark takes us, boom, 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 right through all of these activities. We started with the beginning, as I said, of the Gospel of Jesus. And we met uh, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would point to Jesus and say, you know, the, the Messiah is is here, and the time is fulfilled. And uh, then, of course, we saw how Jesus was baptized, and we talked a little bit about that last time. But then immediately from verse 13, we head on into verse 14, and, and uh, many... Uh, Bible teachers and all consider that between verse 13 and 14 there was about about a year of time that would pass. So once again there were certain things that Mark considered to be important to keep in the string of the activities of the Messiah as the servant of man as the servant he came to show himself as the servant of the Father to us So, when we begin reading in verse 14, it says, Now, after that John was put in prison, that being John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, we would spend a little bit more time possibly dealing with that phrase, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, as being uh, one of the few things that Mark would actually point out in dealing with a a good news that that was directed to the Jewish or Hebrew mindset. Uh, But once again, as we remember from last time, it was more uh, of an open uh, kind of a, a gospel, good news for all, as we'll see in just a moment by the things that Jesus himself will say. So it says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Did you notice again, rapid fire things said. You go to the other gospels, you get a little bit more of the picture of what was happening. But this was important in the sense of how the gospel needed to be given to the people in a short time and if you remember last week I said we're living in a time where things can happen uh, that we need to make sure that the gospel is going to be read heard and given okay so if there's one thing then that average fishermen do well it is to tell good fish stories. How many of you are good fishermen? Or maybe just say fishermen, because well, I know that a few of you are. Okay, I I can see the hands of some of you. Some of you uh, don't want to admit it for some reason. Okay. Well, they are good at telling good fish stories. They tell the stories about the one that got away. Oh, you should have seen how big that thing. Or about the size of that big one that they did catch. I caught one this big. (laughs) Or about the quantity of of fish that were caught. Let me tell you my own little fish story. Uh, It was actually just a story told to me many, many years ago, and I thought it would be a good one to share today. Uh, Some of you maybe have have already heard it. But it's about uh, fishing up in the upper Midwest uh, during the winter. They do something called ice fishing. And the lakes get nice and, you know, icy and thick, you know, with ice. You could walk on it and you could put little tents out there and stuff and and make a place for yourself to, you know, go and drill. They drill the holes, you know, to uh, throw their line in. And and they sit there waiting to catch fish and so, anyway, there was this one man that got out there and, you know, put a uh, hole in the ice and he threw his line in and just waiting there. And most everybody was kind of doing the same thing. There was a few people out there. And it was, uh, you know, fish were a little sleepy, I suppose. But nonetheless, uh, this little boy uh, kind of waddled onto the ice not far from this man. And, and he sat there and, and drilled his hole and, uh, in the ice and then he threw his line in. And a couple of minutes later, this little boy is pulling one fish out of the water, another fish out of the water. And, and, and this man is looking, and you know every minute or two, he's pulling another fish out of the water. And he says, what, what is he doing that we're not doing, and I'm not catching anything? So the man waddles over on the ice to this little boy, and he says, hey, listen, son, uh, can, can you give me the secret of how you're catching so many fish? The little boy looks up at him, and he goes, he says, you gotta keep your worms warm. (laughs) Okay. I know some of you just had breakfast. (laughs) Was that a good story, by the way? All right, okay. That's a fish story. All right. All kidding aside, there is a tremendous need to call to remembrance the commission that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, to every believer. The commission that we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus said to his disciples, go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, Amen. The most significant word in all of that is the first word, go. Go. In our text, as well as in other portions of the Gospels, Jesus uses the analogy of fishing to refer to the gathering of men and women into the kingdom of God. So I I, I do want to tell you another fish story. I won't tell you where it is in the scriptures because it is in the scriptures and it is true but there's no fish story like it and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God he stood by the lake of Gennesaret the Sea of Galilee and saw two ships standing by the lake but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he should thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship, Simon, of course, being Peter. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. He said to Peter, Let's go fishing. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. That's the professional fisherman speaking. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, They enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, verse 10 of Luke chapter 5, Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, From henceforth, Thou shalt catch men. But before Peter would catch men, he had to be caught first. And he was. Most fishermen always know the waters where they fish. They know somewhat, aside from the fact that there are instruments now that uh, have little radar things that can tell you where the rocks are underneath your boat or whatever. Aside from all of that, you still need to know the waters upon which you fish. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, if we're to be fishers of man, we need to know the waters where we fish. And this has become quite a challenge living in a post Christian era. We've gone from reaching out and ministering to the baby boomer generation. Now, I'm going to go through these generations this morning so you can see where you all are at, and I want you to respond when I ask you. But the baby boomer generation were those who were born between 1946 and 1964. How many baby boomers do we have here today? Okay, no, you'll notice it's, it's, it's gonna be the, the largest group of people. Okay, so we have a lot of baby boomers here. And we went from ministering to baby boomers to baby busters. The baby buster generation was actually now called the Generation X, those born between 1965 and 1980. Any of the Generation X here? Raise your hands high so we can see. You'll notice it's about the same, but just a little bit less. This, This fits with all of the statistics about these generations. Then we moved on to focusing our attentions to Generation Y, also known as the Millennial Generation, Those born between 1981 and 1994. Let me see your hands. Those are a lot fewer. Last night I think we only had like three or two. Okay, that's the generation Y. And then we move on to the more current generation Z. We've run out of letters in the alphabet. What does that tell you? This may be the last generation. Don't be worried, Jesus is coming. Generation Z, born between 1995 and 2015. Let me see your hands if you're here. A few, okay. More than last night, too. When I say we've been, I've been ministering as a pastor now since 19, I forget what year. Uh, Let's just put it this way, 36 years. And uh, even before that, at least 10 years before you know, serving in, in other churches, uh, so maybe 40-some years, and ministering through, you know, the greatest generation even, those that were born uh, and, and lived during the time of the World War, World War II and, and before. And those, those, there are some of us here today too, right? How many of you are the greatest generation? Raise your hand. That's before... baby, there you go. (laughs) So, here's the interesting thing. When we got to the Jesus movement of the late 60s, early 70s, it wasn't just the baby boomers that were being ministered to. There were many people from the greatest generation that came to Christ during that time, too. And then as that movement continued on, more and more people from every generation we're being born, that we're being born again and coming into the kingdom of God. So when you think about where we are today, and you'll notice that we have all the generations that I've mentioned so far covered, the challenges that we face then today in reaching the generations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, aside from the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the challenges may seem astronomical because we're dealing with generations after a certain point in time, we're dealing with generations brought up in a public school system that has become heavily entrenched in evolution, entrenched in an unhealthy and incorrect view of separation of church and state, and thus the Constitution of the United States. And even now, where public schools—and this has been documented by pictures of of of, of large uh, uh, dumpsters that are filled with books that have the the proper historical content of the of the nation, of, uh, our own nation, the uh, United States history, and all books dumped in because of the change and the revisions that have taken place in history today in schools. And many public schools today are not teaching the truth about the founding of the United States of America. So understand that things are changing. I want to go back to a certain time uh, of my ministry for at least 25 years ago, let's say, because I had checked some statistics back then, and I want want to compare those with, with some of the things that are happening today. But 25 years ago, According to the statistics then, every day, now listen to this, every day, every day in the United States of America, 13 youth committed suicide. Every day in the United States of America, the statistics were that 16 were murdered, 1,000 girls became mothers, 100,000 brought guns to school, 2,200 dropped out of school, 500 began using drugs, 1,000 began drinking alcohol, 3,500 were assaulted, 630 were robbed, 80 were raped. That was just Generation X, 25 years ago. Those were statistics for every day. Fast forward to today, because we could be here a long time talking about every generation. And their statistics, but you fast forward to today, the numbers have increased in some cases exponentially. For Gen Zers, the Gen Z generation of today, the suicide rate for people 10 to 24 years of age increased 56 percent between 2007 and 2017. 56 percent. It tripled for children 10 to 14 years of old between the very same years. And much of that due to social media. Much of that due to social media. And this generation has become the most at risk for mental illness. And let me just urge you to see some videos, you don't have to watch them all day long like some people do today, but certain videos of the cities that are being destroyed by various groups. You look at the age groups that are, being, that are participating in that, mostly in their young 20s and mostly white. It is evident in what is happening in our cities today. So I say all of this to say that this is one pond of many in which we are able to be fishers of men, in which we are to be fishers of men. The challenge is greater than ever. The possibilities are greater because our Lord smashes generational boundaries. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, we know we, we don't go into this mindset of say, well, I, I can only really minister to one generation because I think I know them a little better than another. God has called us to, to minister in the waters upon which we fish. We need to know a little bit about every generation. Every one of us is affected by every generation because we... I've come out of one generation we have brought we have birthed another generation we belong to one generation The possibilities are great because it is the Lord that smashes if you will generational boundaries So we need to become fishers of men with a passion We need to become fishers of men with a passion for the souls and the you know for souls and and for, and a knowledge of the Word of God. We need to have a passion for the knowledge of the Word of God. We need to have a passion for the power of the Spirit of God. We need to have a passion in bringing these souls to the cross of Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. And as we look around at the world today, one thought continues to come to mind, something that was written in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation people are looking for escapes today why is it that the news media is not giving us the truth about how many suicides are being committed today because of the the pandemic because of the COVID issue because of the lockdown We're not getting any statistics about that. We're not getting any statistics about the domestic violence that's taking place, the child abuse that's taking place in homes today. But these are all homes that are in the waters upon which we fish. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So we come then to the ministry of Jesus as a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In verses 14 and 15 of our text in Mark, it says, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This has become a very essential point that Mark wants us to know, that we are to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said, the time is fulfilled. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if it was at hand 2,000 years ago, it is much more at hand today. So what does he say? He said, repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent. Jesus did say that the Jewish mindset the Hebrew mindset understood what Jesus said it was the very same message that John the Baptist was was preaching but John only preached repentance Jesus said repent ye and believe the gospel that's significant So as Mark points out to us, at the very height of his ministry, uh, John the Baptist was delivered up to prison. Herod thought that he was silencing the only voice with purity and truth. The silencing of John opened the lips of the one who spoke like no other. That would be the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. And you have to remember what John said, and we saw this last week. John said himself in John 3 verse 30, he must increase. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And the Lord has his ways of bringing us to a point where we decrease. John knew that he had his time. John knew that he had his moments. John knew that he had his opportunities to preach to the children of Israel. And even to the scribes and the Pharisees. But the very one he came to point to was there now. John was put in prison, Jesus was now preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And there were certain distinctives and differences in their messages. John preached to bring conviction of sin. The message of Jesus was, in fact, glad tidings, good news. The kingdom of God had drawn near. Not just a kingdom of royal subjects, but the very reign of God, the very rule of God, the very authority of God, and the very government of God was now to be preached because the one who was the Messiah of Israel was in their midst. The existing world was now to be replaced with God's order, his rule and reign. Now, before that would fully be uh, operative, Jesus had to come to die. But his coming was setting the stage for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom rule in Jerusalem, in Israel, on Mount Zion. The time is fulfilled at the right place and at the right time Jesus came preaching. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He said, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and as i have said before when jesus came he came at the right moment at the right time at the right place he did not come one second too late and he didn't come a second too soon that is what it means when the fullness of the time was come he came at the very moment that he needed to come in the very place where he needed to appear. Now, as we continue on in these distinctions, John's call, the call of John preaching to bring people to the waters of baptism in the Jordan, his call to the people was simple. He said to them, Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn from the direction that you're going and turn now in the opposite direction toward God again because that's what they were supposed to be doing. They had turned away from God. Now they were to turn back to God. But repentance is more than being sorry for sin. It is repudiating it. It is repudiating sin. And when a person repents they give up all their arguments with God and change their mind and direction in their life. Didn't you ever get tired of arguing with God? (laughs) Most of us did, even if we didn't know it, we were arguing with God. I like my life the way it is. I like the success that I'm getting out of all of this. And then when I get older, you know, I'll just say, okay, well, Lord, you know, I'll come to you now. Now that I've got, you know, my retirement set and my social security and esto y el otro. I got all this in the right place. Really? Now is the day of salvation. It's now salvation, not then salvation. Salvation. What was Jesus' call? That was John's call. Jesus' call to the people was equally simple. Yes, he said repent. But then he said believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Trust in the gospel. Be fully dependent in the good news of Jesus Christ. Repentance. Folks, let's... Let's be clear. Repentance is incomplete without faith. Repentance is incomplete without faith. Believe in the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Believe in the goodness and the love and the mercies of God. And once again, the Apostle Paul gives us added clarity in this when he says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life with which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we know that without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. But it was Jesus who could say with great assurance these words in John chapter 5, verse 24. And listen to what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth On him that sent me. When I I point out belief, it's belief in the heart and in the mind. But you know what? The heart covers all of that. The heart and the mind. Believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Life eternal. And what we learn then is that this is indeed a radical call. It is a radical call and a radical obedience. Consider the rest of our text in Mark 1, verse 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brothers, or uh, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Simon, of course, is Peter. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway, and notice the word straightway, remember from last week, straightway means immediately, and straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who, were also, uh, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. Uh, keep in mind that word, mending. You might want to circle that or highlight it. We're going to come back to that word. And then in verse 20, it says, and straightway, and there's that word again, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after Jesus. They went after him. But it's interesting that this wasn't the first meeting between Jesus and these future disciples. When you go back to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, John gives us this account. And, of course, John actually was there. And so he says in verse 35, again, the next day after John... The Baptist stood, and two of his disciples, take note of that, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. John is now pointing to the Messiah. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, uh, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Take note of that phrase. That, that, that's one of the most beautiful phrases you could ever see. He brought Simon to Jesus. Let that sink in. Do, do, Do you remember that somebody brought you to Jesus? And when Jesus beheld him, think about that for a moment. Jesus looking at you with his eyes, beholding you. How would you feel? His eyes piercing through to your very heart with love, with mercy, with grace. When Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, Thou shalt be called Kephas in Hebrew, which is by interpretation, a stone. Changed his name. You shall be Peter, the rock. Little Peter, little rock. Keep that in mind. So they already knew that Jesus was worth following, didn't they? They knew that Jesus was worth following. Because they had John the Baptist's recommendation. John pointed to Jesus. Behold, that's the Lamb of God. He's the one you follow. And so they, they knew that Jesus was worth following and Jesus said, Now, he says to professional fishermen, think about this, to professional fishermen, I will make you to become fishers of men. You see, fishing was not only their livelihood, but their service to others, providing food for many. Their greater service would be in bringing men to the Savior. Let's go back to what Jesus said in the the Gospel of Mark, in verse 17. Come ye after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Let's take it phrase by phrase, pardon me. Let's look at I will make, those first three words. I will make. It is not by our power or might or even wisdom, but his. It is God's wisdom, it is God's power, it is God's might. He says, I will make. We don't make ourselves Christians. We don't have the power, we don't have the might, or even the wisdom. And then he said, I will make you. I will make you, those whom he chooses, he makes. And this is a very significant thing because biblically biblically speaking, none of us chose Jesus, he chose us. In fact, think of what he told his disciples. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. It's like he said to his own people as well. He said, you didn't love me first, I loved you first. I will make you. And what that says also is that our equipping comes from him. Our preparations for being believers in Jesus Christ comes from him. And then he said, I will make you become fishers of men. The Lord has given us greater potential to use our gifts for the sake of his kingdom which should truly astound us when you think about it. Because who did he really choose? If you look in the mirror and you say, how did God choose that? I say that because I do that all the time. How did God choose that? And it brought to mind something that I've shared before. Actually, the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Paul says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It is such a joy to have you all, my brother fools, my sister fools, with me today. Because you see, God didn't choose wise, he chose the foolish things of the world. And if we look in the mirror, we would sometimes have to think, yep, he's right, foolish. Foolish things. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Doesn't matter how often we go to the gym. Doesn't matter how often we exercise and get ourselves physically fit. Paul says, you know, physical fitness profits a little bit. Physical exercise profits a little bit. Spiritual exercise profits eternally. But he's chosen the weak things of the world. Why? Because the weak depend on the truly strong. And the truly strong isn't anyone in the world. It's Jesus himself. When I am weak, Paul said, then am I strong. My strength is made perfect, or his strength is made perfect in my weakness. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. The word despised stuck out to me last night when I was speaking on, on this passage. And it made me realize how the world today is looking at every believer in Jesus Christ as despicable. The world sees us that way. We're despicable because we have a very singular mindset. We don't look at the world to find strength, we look at God to find strength in Jesus Christ. And the world that is generated by the hatred of the enemy himself, Satan, considers us as despicable, detestable. But God said, but that's who I chose. And here's the reason, verse 29, that no flesh or glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus has been made to be that for you and for me as believers in Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. No one else. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There's nothing that we can glory in because everything that we do, just as Paul himself, as I read earlier in Philippians chapter 3, I count it all but done that I might receive Christ. And so it was then that, that they immediately straightway left their nets and followed Jesus. James and John were mending their nets when Jesus came by. Let me ask you a question, what were you doing when Jesus came by with you? What were you doing when Jesus came by? I'll share this as quickly as I can because of time, but there's something that I cannot ever forget. I can never forget the place where I was the day that I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I will never forget that day You know, honestly, I can't remember the date, but I can't forget the day. In a crowded, loud, and smoke-filled student union building at the University of Texas at El Paso, going between classes, for some reason being attracted to a table that was manned at the time by people from Campus Crusade for Christ. Some people that I knew that kept saying, go by there, they'll give you a Bible, they'll give you literature. Okay. But the day came and I went by there. I can remember what I was wearing an old army jacket that I bought for pennies on the dollar, I guess, at the commercial sales, you know, the Army-Navy store down in South El Paso. Anybody remember that place? I forget what, yeah, I think it was called commercial sales. (laughs) Oh, and I was also wearing a pair of army boots, too. But I was a hippie, I had long hair and a beard. No, really, I did. I had a beard, and I had long hair. <sighs> but I don't rem- that, that, that wasn't as important as what I remember happened. A guy that was dressed just like me sat down and began to share with me these words. For God so loved the world and God so loved you he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And at that moment, I could hear a pin drop because I could hear nothing but the cry in my heart to ask Jesus to come into me, change my life. And I did. I'm so thankful that I remember what I was doing when Jesus came by. Nearly 50 years later. Nearly 50 years later. I'm still here. And I love Jesus more now than ever before. And even as long as I remember the first time I heard about the rapture of the church, you know what? I still believe in it. And I believe in it more now because we are living in times that require that move of God's Spirit. And I don't wanna stop doing what God has called me to do until he calls me from that. You know what you were doing when Jesus came by? They were mending their nets. Their their nets were essential to their work. Our tools are essential in fishing for men. The lives of these four men were expanded as were their tools. So remember, Jesus Christ equips us for the task. Jesus always equips us for the tasks that he's given us. You know, it's quite significant that the word mending here in verse 19 of our text, What John and his brother were doing with their nets comes from this very same root word for a word that was used by the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four. And let me read verses 11 and 12, and it's in verse 12 that we see the word. But it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors uh, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. It's the word perfecting here. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now the word perfecting means to equip for service and ministry. Those mentioned in verse 11 were not to be the only ones to go about doing the work of the ministry. In other words, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. They were not the only ones to go about doing the work of the ministry. Their primary task was to be equippers. They were to equip the church, prepare others to the service of Christ. Never underestimate the work of the Lord in doing, uh, in in what he is doing in preparing you for service. Never underestimate it. Because especially in these days and times, we need to know. And we need to be aware of every gift that God has given us for that task of fishing for men. And then, maybe, out of this all, and lastly, we were headed toward the end of this study, but we have to ask the question why were the Lord's first four disciples fishermen? Why were the first four disciples fishermen? I mean, it seems odd by human standards. Jesus was going to establish a kingdom and build a church. He could have gone to the best rabbinical schools in and around Jerusalem for the best scholars, for men skilled in Hebraic writings, for men like the Sanhedrin who were skilled in the law and in civil and religious government. He could have done that. Or maybe if he wanted military genius, he could have gone to Rome and gotten the best military minds and soldiers. But one thing is for sure. His ways are not our ways. He was not looking for scholars or soldiers. He was going to equip servants from slaves and freemen, from the common and the ordinary, you and me. This is why I appreciate so much what James writes in James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, when he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If we have gotten every gift from God, what he says here before this has to do with the way that, you know, is that progression of sin. You know, it's the temptation all the way down to the sin itself. But he says every good gift, though, and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, who doesn't turn. And in verse 18, he says, Of his own will begat he us with a word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits for his creatures. Now remember, this is James. In fact, this is, the, this is the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself, but James was considered to be one of the, uh, the apostles of the church in, in Jerusalem. But this is what he, what, he meant, what he means when he says that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. In other words, because they had been equipped and prepared for the task ahead by the Lord himself, they would be the guarantee of many more to come. This is why we need to understand our role as fishers of men. That in the very short time that we may have before the Lord Jesus Christ comes, that there will be others who will come because we use the gifts that God is giving us to be fishers of men. And let me close with this passage because I did because of time and, and all, but, but I think this is an encouragement for us today as we close out this, this particular part of our study of Mark. It's Isaiah 55, verses five, or I'm sorry, verses six through 11. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And this is what I want you to hear. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord." For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me unto me void, but, and get this, It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. God will equip you to be fishers of men. In fact, God has equipped you because we have his word. And we have it always. And it is eternal. And it is true and it is without error and it is inspired and God breathed for us to be fishers of men.